0: I want to reiterate my gratitude for those who helped VBS. Uh, This was VBS part one. The uh, people who are going on the mission trip starting Saturday will do VBS part two. They're basically doing the same VBS we did. This was like a trial run, wasn't it, Derek? Uh, It is, I would encourage you, if you're uh, uh, thinking about ways you want to be involved, thinking about ways you could be more uh, involved in things that we do at church uh, next year, you could be involved in VBS. There is stuff for you to do. Amen? Amen, there is. There's stuff for you to do. So much stuff. So uh, be thinking about if that's something you're maybe interested in uh, as we are uh, thinking about, of course, how to fulfill what we're doing in our Sunday morning class about reaching the lost, right? We're, we're in, every, in everything trying to think about how we can reach the lost in our community. Uh, this morning we're going to continue, actually I can say continue, we're starting a new series. Uh, series 5 in Words of Life. We've gone through a bunch of different, uh, we're, we're going through important words in the Bible. And this series is Faith. A series about words connected to faith. And of course this stems off of what we talked about in the last uh, few weeks. The Good News of Jesus. The gospel uh, conveys an implied demand. There is an implied challenge in the gospel message. God exists, His character demands righteousness. We are unrighteous, but God has provided a way of salvation through Jesus. That way of salvation is, of course, what we are going to be focusing on in the next few weeks. How will we respond to the challenge or the demand of the gospel? We're going to examine the words in the Bible that explain how God expects us to respond to the good news. If the good news is there is salvation, what words are there in the Bible that describe how we can attain or obtain or be in that salvation? Now, there is a uh, danger in being too formulaic. I've never liked the phrase, personally, I've never liked uh, the phrase, the steps to salvation. I just, I don't like that phrase. I think it, it runs us into uh, sort of the thing that they would have struggled with in the uh, the first century. Uh, where there, there was a lot of pagan rituals and, and religious rituals of various kinds that really borders on sort of like a magic spell that if I say these things or do these things in the correct order I can elicit some magical response from the universe which we all know it does not happen and yet we sort of do sometimes I think we can get into the danger of treating salvation that way that if I follow this correct formula it will elicit some there's, there's no possibility other than I will receive the thing that I want or we could think about it like a vending machine. I use the vending machine analogy sometimes. That there's sort of God is a vending machine of salvation. And if I input the correct things and I hit the right buttons, then salvation is dispensed to me. That's not how this works, right? We understand that that's not how this works. And, and part of the thing we're going to go through as we go over the next few weeks is really think about these these words in a way that avoids that mentality, that sort of vending machine or formulaic mentality. Yet there is an inherent response, an ordered. there is a, uh, a sequence of events in this response. The, the thing that was read, Don, I did not tell him to read this, he just picked it, uh, thinking about evangelism, Romans 10, 8 through 13. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. I want you to note that phrase. He bestows his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We continue in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's, of course, symbolic. My feet are not very beautiful. But they have not all obeyed the good news. Who's the they in this passage? They have not all obeyed the good news. Wouldn't that be the ones who have heard, have not obeyed? There are some who have not obeyed because they didn't hear it, but there are a lot who did not obey even though they have heard it. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There is an order, right? And this is the, we see the order here. Things that are mentioned just in Romans 10. Calling on the name of the Lord, belief, confession, uh, faith. We'll talk about that in just a minute, the belief and faith idea. But there is an order here. How are you going to do some of the things that are later on in the order unless you've done the previous things in the order? In this case, it's calling and believing and hearing. And so in essence, the next series of words that we're going to do, I think six words, tells us how, how do I call on the name of the Lord? What does that mean? What does that look like? How do I do that? Not from, again, my perspective, but as we emphasized again in our Sunday morning class, what has God said about these things? What does God expect of us? And we, of course, begin with faith or belief. We know, of course, that faith and belief, same thing. Uh, in our English language, they're not quite the same thing, but in the New Testament language, they are. Belief is the now or the verb form of faith. So when the Bible uses the word belief, you, you can be rest assured that it is the same word as faith but we don't have a verb for it, so we can't faith somebody. So we have to have a a different word there. 1 Timothy 1.5 The aim of our charge. This is what? The aim of what? The goal of our, our purpose as Christians. The goal of what we do is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Faith comes before love. It comes before Anything that would come from love. Faith is the thing from which a pure heart and a good conscience and the love comes from. Philippians 3, 8 through 10. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. And the contrast that is over and over and over and over. This is what the, the primary thrust of the word righteousness. When we looked at that word. The contrast that is made by Paul and other writers of the New Testament is between the works of the law and faith. Because if it came through the works of the law, it would not be faith. It would be that vending machine mentality. The works of the law is the sort of I do these things and there's no help or no possibility other than I will get the thing that I want, which is righteousness, right? I do X number of things and then I'm righteous. Hooray for me as opposed to what? The righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on, that it requires, it cannot happen without faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And from a logical perspective, of course, we can think about all the things the Bible says, but just thinking about it logically. Faith, of course, must be the first step in our response to the good news, right? Because it is the originator of all the other responses. You want to think about gratitude or reverence or obedience or love. You're not going to feel gratitude for God if you don't believe what he did for you, right? I hear the good news. Jesus died for my sins. Great. I only feel thankful for that if I believe that message. I can only love God if I believe that he exists and that he's done these things and that he is who he is. I can only obey because... I have faith. Now, the obedience. We'll talk about that more as we go through. It is interesting because you can technically obey without believing. Gideon obeys without believing. Because I make them, right? I make them do that. But there's a lot of adults who obey without believing. Because it's what they've always done. Or because they don't want to get cut out of the inheritance. Or because they don't want things to be awkward at Thanksgiving. Right? We can't obey without belief. And yet, I would submit to you that you're not obeying God in those circumstances. Who are you obeying? You're obeying whoever it is that you want to make sure is happy. Maybe your parents, maybe your friends, whoever. You, You really cannot obey God without believing in God. You believe in your parents, so maybe you obey your parents. But, again... To have this relationship, this righteous relationship with God without sincere belief or faith in the message. Why would you feel or do or say any of the other things? Faith has to be first. Implied by the heavy emphasis on faith in the New Testament is this idea that we just talked about. That at least some of the Israelites were obeying God not out of a sincere belief but out of tradition or expectation or habit. Right? Why, does, why do the writers of the New Testament emphasize faith so much is that obviously a lot of the Old Testament Israelites, and maybe the intertestamental period and then of course in the life of Jesus, the Israelites were not believing out of faith. They were believing because that's what one did in Israel. That was what was expected of you socially. That was how you remained in good social standing. That was what you did your whole life. You just sort of do these things. And so the writers of the New Testament, Jesus, beginning with Jesus and then into his apostles, emphasize what? There's... More than that, guys, is not just doing the stuff. You have to believe in the message. Believe in the information. Believe in the power of what God has done. And again, I would suggest that many people today are attempting to obey without faith. And in which case, what does that end up in? It ends up in what we read in Philippians 3.8, Right. Not righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that is your own because you don't really believe, you just are obeying because you are doing whatever you're doing. That's your own righteousness, which as we've looked at over and over and over again is insufficient, right? You can't rely on your own righteousness. Faith is not the same as knowledge, nor is it wishful thinking. And I want to emphasize these two points over the next section of this sermon. There is an idea perhaps... That faith is sort of like a wish, right? That it's, it's like a blind hope. And I think a lot of people, when they use the word faith in a disparaging way, people who are not Christians, people who do not have religious faith, maybe not even uh, just not Christian, people who, are, who don't believe in anything, they use this word faith as sort of like, well, it's just sort of a blind thing. That's not how faith is. But on the other hand, I do understand the impulse, because faith is not just knowledge. It is more than knowledge. It's not just the things that I know. There is an element of faith that must surpass the things that I can empirically know. There is a middle ground here between base mundane knowledge and wishful flighty thinking. And I want to strike that balance as we go through these texts. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith must surpass knowledge. It is the assurance. Some versions have conviction in this word, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In some ways, I am surpassing the empirical understanding of our universe. Not without reason. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Not without evidence. But the reason that faith is unusual, the reason that faith is called out as the thing that not many people will have, why it is that Jesus says, Narrow is the way that leads to life, and those who are find it will few. Part of that reason is a lot of people will not go beyond what they can touch and taste and smell and see. A lot of people will not go beyond what can be empirically proven. Your faith must go beyond that. It must not rely just on what you can empirically know. Romans 8, 24 through 25, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Then it would just be knowledge, right? For who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Our faith must be more than what I can simply know by empirical evidence. I cannot stress this enough. If you only believe, believe, the things that you can prove empirically, you don't believe anything, right? If you only believe the things that you can prove empirically, you don't have faith. You have knowledge. Knowledge is not the thing that leads to righteousness. Faith is the thing that leads to righteousness. Now, that is not to say that faith is not without evidence. This is not the same as, again, a wishful sort of idea that I just am blindly trusting. That's not, of course, what we're saying at all. John 20, 20, uh, 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John here and writers in other places understand that people are not just going to blindly believe whatever happens to come along and so have provided this as evidence right the evidence of the life of Jesus the evidence of the life of the apostles and the actions that they took now it's interesting we contrast what we have versus what they had the people who literally saw Jesus you might say well they had empirical proof Jesus came and he did some stuff and yet we understand that that's not the case either because most people still did not believe in Jesus, even though he's there doing all sorts of stuff and right. raising people from the dead, healing all sorts of diseases. People came up with alternative explanations. And yet, what does John say here? I wrote these things. Why did I write these things? So that you would believe in Jesus. This is the evidence for you. These things are the evidence for you. Hebrews 4 2 3. For the good for the Jews came to us just as to them, but the message they heard, this is talking about in the Old Testament. The message that was given to the Israelites coming out of Egypt. I'm going to save you. You're coming out. We're going to go into the promised land. Of course, they go into the promised land and they, they send the spies out. And what happens? They see, ah, oh, they're so giant. They're so big. We can't possibly kill them. The good news came to us as to them. Our good news is not the same, but the good news is similar. You can enter the promised land. That's the good news, right? That's what they were told. We're going to enter the promised land. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The Israelites had ample evidence, did they not? Of the power of God. Of his ability to save them and protect them and shelter them. They had so much evidence. They literally just came out of the ten plagues. Where God smote the Egyptians in the Red Sea. And caused all sorts of fantastical stuff to happen. Generating food out of nothing every morning. They wake up, there's food on the ground. Can you imagine that? How that would be. I don't have to go to the grocery store ever again. And yet what? They come to a conflict, a challenge, a difficulty. And faith was not united. And it was not with uni- their, The message was not united by faith. They heard it. But they did not believe it. Despite the evidence. And so this balance that is struck here. That there is evidence for the resurrection. There is evidence for the existence of God. There is evidence for so many things in the Bible. And yet that evidence does require... ...that we accept things beyond what our knowledge. We accept things that are not seen... So we believe more than knowledge, but we do not believe without evidence. There is a balance to strike. The question, of course, is what evidence you constitute as good enough and what you put your trust in. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, And I, I, when I came to you, brothers, did not uh, come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The kind of faith that God is seeking as a response to the gospel message. ...is not the normal response to the good news of Jesus. For two reasons. One, it goes beyond, he uses the word wisdom here. This we might, in in context, in the way that they thought about wisdom... ...we might say it goes beyond uh, human, he says human wisdom... ...but we might say the ways that humans know things. The ways that humans construct knowledge... I'm not thinking about human wisdom here. What am I thinking about? Godly wisdom, the power of God. So it does go beyond human understanding. It does, it does. and so people don't accept it. But the second thing is this. Going back to the Israelites in the, in the desert. It demands change. If the gospel message was just that Jesus came and died, and that's it, no other thing, you don't have to worry about anything else ever again, I think a lot more people would believe, which is what we see in groups that teach that. Groups that teach that Jesus came and died and that's it and everybody's good to go. There's a lot of acceptance of that message. Ooh, yeah, that's great. I can just do whatever I want. Hallelujah. But the true message demands change, demands action, demands, in some sense, obedience. And so it is abnormal to have the faith ...that God is seeking. It is... ...unusual. There are a lot of people... ...who obey God... ...do the things that God wants... ...but never allow themselves... ...to put their faith in the power of God. Because life is easy, right? There's no challenge... ...there's no difficulty... ...there's no struggle. I don't have any persecution... ...my family life is great... ...hooray for me... ...and so I sort of do these things... ...because they're nice and easy... ...and then what happens when disaster strikes suddenly I don't, I don't know if I want to believe anymore. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Because their faith was in the wisdom of men and not in the power of God. Our faith is not unchanging. Over the next few weeks we are going to talk about faith, how faith leads to things like repentance and confession and immersion and these sorts of different things that, you know, the typical words that we're going to talk about as a an idea of calling on the name of the Lord. I call on the name of the Lord. Why? Why would I do that? Because I believe that God exists, and I believe that he is there to save me, and he wants to save me. So I call on him. How do I do that? We'll talk about that. But our faith is not unchanging. As time goes on, it grows, it matures, and yes, at times it wanes. There are times when I know, for a fact, I can say this 100% confidently, there are times when you believe less. There are times when I believed less. But we persevere and endure. And we continue. Because there are times when I believe more. When I'm more assured and more confident and more positive. We're going to end with Mark 9. Which I think may be one of my favorite passages on faith. Mark 9 verse 20. They brought a boy to him. This is a boy who needs help from Jesus. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell down on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. He has a, an unclean spirit in him. And Jesus asked his father, how long has it been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire to destroy him. But if you can do anything, why would they bring the boy to Jesus? Because they think Jesus might be able, might, that word might, might be able to do something. The, the boy's father is at his end. I have no avenues of help. My son is, is going to die. I need help. I don't know if you can do it, Jesus, but if you can. Yet he does have some measure of faith because he brought the boy. He believes some amount that Jesus might be able to do something, but he's not, he's not quite there yet. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, I don't know, I really wonder how he said this. Because if, if I'm reading this as I would say it, if you can, what is that? If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And I think Jesus is a little gently prodding him, right? What do you mean if you, you're the one that brought him. You're the one that brought him here. What do you mean, if you can? Of course I can. And then the father says, cried out. I believe. Help my unbelief. Because he does have some amount of faith. But is it enough? Is it enough for him to receive what he needs from God? In this case, from the son of God, literally standing before him. There are times when we believe and disbelieve at the same time, aren't there? When we have that sort of baseline, I think God could help me. I think there might be some possibility of help. I think there might be something that God could do, but I'm just not sure if I deserve it, or I'm not sure if He'll do it, or I'm not sure if it'll be good enough, or I'm not sure that I'm good enough, or whatever it is. I believe. But I need God to help my unbelief. And of course Jesus does. We're not going to read the end of the story. But what does Jesus do? He does. He heals the boy. And the father, I think, probably is fully convinced in that moment. This is the one that I need to follow. We know that faith is the first step. Towards salvation. I don't know what level of faith. What amount of faith you have today. If you're here, I hope that means you have some faith. Maybe in God, in a general existence of Yahweh. Maybe a general belief in the Bible. Maybe a belief in the power. Maybe you're only here because you have a belief in the power of fellowship. You're not sure what you think about God or about the Bible, but you just want to be with other people. Maybe you're here because you believe that you want to have a good family relationship and your parents have dragged you here, your friends have dragged you here, whoever. I don't know. Whatever your level of belief is, there's evidence for more. And we want to help you know more, understand more, and believe more. Jesus is worthy of our faith. Amen? He's worthy of it because of what he's done. And if you're here today, we have not gone through the whole gospel message. There's reasons why we believe. Please come and ask. And Jesus has told us what we need to do. If we've heard the word, to repent because we know we need to change, to confess that we do believe, to be immersed in water, to be united with his death, and to live as if we do believe, to live faithfully. If you're here, you're not quite sure if you're ready for that, that's fine. Come and ask. We'd love to study with you more. If you're here and you are ready for that, Now is the time. Come while we stand and sing.